Hi, I'm Steve Longo. Welcome to another episode of Rock and Roll Show and Tell. And this is part two of my conversation with guitar hero Steve Stevens. Now, I've known Steve since we were both kids coming up in the business, and it's been amazing to watch his career. But there's one question I've always wanted to ask. How did you get that gig with Billy Idol? So let me, I gotta ask, um, how did the Idol thing even happen for you? I mean, it's not like, hey, Chris, I'm, uh, I can't play in the band anymore because I gotta go play with Billy Idol. So, um... So eventually, uh, I was in a band, an original band, with um, uh, I auditioned for the band, and it was like 15 guys living in a loft. They were all from Clarksville, Tennessee, <laughs> in a loft in New York. And I joined the band, and uh, they needed a singer, so I brought along the singer from One Hand Clap, Ray, um, and uh, and we eventually got to record for Island Records, although the record was never released. Uh, and Jimmy Miller, the producer of the Rolling Stones, brought us down to the Bahamas to Compass Point to, to record. This is the classic case of, you know, we went from, you know, eating chicken pie to we're living in the Rolling Stones house down in the Bahamas with a dude that climbs the tree in the morning to get fresh coconuts. And, and we thought we had it made. We thought, this is it, you know. Um, the record ended up being, it, you know, we really didn't know what we were doing, and we were, uh, you know, we, we, we were just not ready, you know. So we got back to New York, the record's not being released, um, and eventually we started to uh, play a couple of showcase gigs, and Bill Coyne from KISS, who was the manager of KISS, uh, saw the band, and... Um, and he tried to put us together with some songwriters and stuff, but we really, we didn't have an identifiable thing. You know, a couple of guys wanted to be in The Clash. Uh, you know, I wanted to be in Van Halen or whatever, right. you know, with a little bit of UK mixed. You know, it was all, it was just like a mishmash. Singer wanted to be uh, David Bowie or whatever. You know, it was just, it wasn't a cohesive thing. We didn't know how to put that together. So... Uh, a coin management said, well, you know, we think, we believe in you. I had some tunes that they liked. Um, and they, uh, they said, you know, we'll help you put, you know, if you want, we'll help you put together a new band or whatever. I ran an ad in the Village Voice, you know, guitar player looking for every other <laughs> instrument. You know? And, um, and that ran for about a week. And then I got a call from Bill and said, uh, he said, have you ever heard of Billy Idol? And, um, and I, by then, uh, Dancing With Myself was kind of played in the clubs that, you know, that were playing like dance remixes. And so I said, oh, yeah, the Dancing With Myself guy. So, so Bill says, yeah, he's moved to New York. We're managing him. And you guys should meet. And, um, and we met. And I remember it was, uh, it was soon after, <coughs> excuse me, soon after John Lennon had, had been uh, assassinated. And here's Idol, this quintessential English guy in New York. And, you know, I said, believe me, New York, it's kind of dangerous, but it's not like that dangerous, you know. Just stay off 42nd Street <laughs> and you'll be all right. He was living down in the village. And, um, and we just started to, um, I said, let's, let's just meet up, you know. We'll meet up and, you know, see what we got. And, um, 
And at first, you know, we couldn't find common ground, but then we started to, I realized that he loved all the, uh, a lot of the English early uh, records like Sweet and T-Rex, the glam stuff. Ah. And, and, and uh, so we found common ground in that. And of course, you know, even the punks loved Led Zeppelin. And, you know, sure. you know, communication breakdown is everything the Ramones wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, so, you know, we, we found common ground in it because in England, the punk rock thing was, was tied to a socioeconomic thing. It was, it was, it, whereas in New York, it was, we didn't have a political thing attached. Ramones weren't a political band. They were just, you know, three, four knuckleheads who kind of, yeah, they were just, they, they were non-political. They were just fuck everybody. Yeah. No politics at all. Yeah, and um, what was cool is that at that time, um, Robert Fripp had moved to New York and, w and was hanging out at CBGB's with bands like Talking Heads and television, all this. Um, so when when I started to work with Billy, um, I started to say, you know, there's a lot of guitar stuff that I could do uh, that's kind of textural as well. And this is when the police first started to happen. And I said, you know, what Andy Summers is doing for those songs, I said, we we can touch on some of that stuff. doesn't always have to be, you know, aggressive guitar stuff. And that's kind of how things like Flesh and Fantasy happened, all those kind of, you know, more textural guitar things. So we did find common ground and... and um, and I think, I think um, you know, I think for him it was refreshing to have someone bring in ideas he wouldn't have thought of. And I, did, and I was going to say, you know, the thing about it, I, I never really connected the dots. Is needless to say, you know, I mean, if you if you're a student of music, you you understand the things, you know, the things that you guys brought to the table. And now in my head, I'm getting the fusion thing, the aggressive, you know, uh, progression, you know, progressive thunder rock and then i'm getting the anti-establishment sort of you know snook curled lip punk thing from but i realized how it worked out and now that is that sound it's its own sound right yeah i mean there's um uh you know that uh, that middle part of rebel yell if you go back and listen to it uh, the breakdown the i walk the ward bit there's the guitar that plays this kind of it's not a keyboard, it's actually guitar-like. I'm thinking Keith Emerson, Lucky Man there. I'm emulating that Moog thing. So I'm still bringing in all my prog influences, but it, it's, no one would ever put that together. But in my head, I'm thinking that way, you know? Uh, Eyes Without a Face on the 12-string. I'm thinking Steve Howe, uh, you know, All Good People or something. I'm still thinking in terms of because I love musicians and guitar players who use different textures. I was never the guy that just had one sound and plugged in and like a Clapton or a Van Halen. I loved orchestrating more like a Jimmy Page. And the, the thing about you, the thing that, that you, I think, were one of the first guys... And we'll get to we'll get to the glowing little city behind you in a minute. But I think you were one of the first guys that I knew of to really embrace the guitar technology. Um, you had a rack that looked like outboard equipment at Electric Lady, and I mean, and the sounds, you know, 
because I had a friend whose wife was just a an idol fanatic, and anytime we ever went over there, she was always putting this stuff on. They had a nice sound system, and so you know that stuff just got ingrained. And you're, uh, it was really the two of you guys. I know you had different bass players, and I know you had different drummers, but the sound and the writing and the whole direction of that whole the whole idol thing was such a uh, conglomerate of the of both of your styles and. And talking about it now really makes me appreciate what you guys did and how different it was. Yeah, I mean, we and we were we were lucky because I realized with with somebody like Billy, you couldn't really, you know, even from the first record, you couldn't really say, well, he's just hard rock or pop. Or we were able to push push the envelope a little bit into different areas, so it allowed us to like. Each song could sound a little different from the other one, uh, you know, because that was, you know, I grew up with the Beatles. Every song was different on a Beatles. Exactly. And, and he grew up with that, too. So we allowed ourselves to, like, have records. I mean, I'm still thinking, I still think in terms of side A and side B, you know. But, but records were a little bit of a journey, you know, and they took you through these emotional peaks and valleys. And we still kind of adhere to that blueprint. Uh, that you know, it's it's interesting because you know when I was prepping for this show, obviously I watched a lot of clips and I found that one. The thing that I have to worry about here in the public forum is I get flagged if I play anything. You know, I, if I was to play one of the hits or one of the videos, you know, I'll get the slap on. So I didn't want to deal with that, so I. You know, I figured a way around it. I, sometimes I do audience stuff. They never bust me for that. But in looking for the stuff, I got to revisit, you know, Blue Highway and that. that, that. Yeah, great. I mean, there's some just such great tracks. Wave hello to Christ. That's, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we've done that a few times. <laughs> and he waves back. That's the thing that scares me. Oh, yeah. But, uh, no, all good. Yeah. It's it's uh it's an amazing catalog. I mean that's impressive. And then, you know, and listen, I don't want to give you colon cancer, blowing smoke up your ass or anything. But, <laughs> go, go, but go, the Top Gun thing, man, the Michael Jackson thing. I mean, you didn't just stay in one place. Once you once you set yourself up, you know, you branched out, which is cool. Yeah, how did that Top Gun thing happen? Yeah, how did the Top Gun thing happen? All right, this is what I always I tell people that you. First of all, if someone asks you to to do something uh, recording-wise or work-wise, just say yes. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Because you never know. Right? And that's that's continued to happen to me over and over. So we're we're working on the third Billy Idol record with Last Smile, and the producer, still the same producer, Keith Forsey, had. Um, he used to work with Giorgio Moroder doing those Donna Summers records. Those were done in, in, in Germany. So when it came time to do keyboards, he brought over his buddy, Harold Faltermeyer, who had done all those records. So Harold's set up in the studios doing the keyboards, and, and he mentions to me, oh, you know, I'm working on a movie. Maybe you'd like to, to play on the, on the theme. I said, okay, you know. And... Um, and he says, I'll show you video. So this this is the days of Betamax, right? So he puts the, the Betamax in and shows me at, at the, they had at that time, you know, aerial, aerial footage, which now 
compared to you know right. to CGI. I mean, but at that time, I went, "Wow, that's great!" You know, and all, and he said, "Yeah, Tom Cruise, Risky Business is in." So what we did, he had the twenty-four track, the multi-track with him. So I remember it was on a on a weekend. It was on Saturday because we didn't work on Sunday. We're still still set up for Idol's record. So we we knocked off at about ten p.m. Everybody leaves. He puts up the the multi-track, and uh, and he's got the theme, and he says, "Okay, first of all, we need to capture this this melody. Let's take care of that." And uh, I think he had like a very rough guitar demo, like a rock man or something on there. So we tackled that, <clears throat> and then uh, then there was a solo section. So we did that, and um, <clears throat> and the the whole session I think took about two hours to to get everything. And um, and then I forgot about it. You know, I'm off. I'm off for a tour. You know, we're supporting Billy's record, and the, and, um, and then the movie comes out. It's a huge success. And then Harold calls me from Germany. He goes, "We got nominated for a Grammy." <laughs> this is from a two-hour session, right? <laughs> and I said, "Well, that's that's nice. You know, <laughs> nice to be nominated." Because we're gonna fucking win that thing. And I said, "Come on, Harold." It's, you know, it's, but. The Grammys that year were in Los Angeles, and I was still living in New York. But as luck would have it, that year I was performing on the show with Billy Idol already. So I was in L.A., and that category was in the afternoon, and I said, I'll just go, just as a formality, you know, and I go, and, and lo and behold, we, we end up winning it. And, um, but I, I tell people, you just never know. Right place, right time. Yeah, right, right place, right time. That's right you know, that's time. the hand over your head, man. It's yeah. right. Yeah, and the same, same with the Michael Jackson thing. I had just yeah, um, I had been, I had been signed to Warner Brothers, actually in a development deal by um, Ted Templeman, who produced Van Halen. Yeah, and um, so I hadn't recorded anything for them yet. Uh, I was still committed to Billy Idol. I had a, I had a the idol clause in my agreement that meant, you know, this is my priority. And um, and Ted calls me and he says, oh, you know, hey, um, I just spoke to Quincy Jones and, you know, this is the, the album following up the Beat It record. Right. And he said, Quincy called him and said, hey, you know, we, we got another rock track. Uh, who can you suggest? You know, we can't we can't do Van Halen again, but who can, and of course, you know, thank thank the Lord. Ted said, "Oh, you should give Steve Stevens a call." <laughs> and um, and once again, it was a, you know it was a, a quick session. <clears throat> I flew out to L.A. to do to do the the session, and I'm thinking, you know, there's going to be some huge entourage, and that's going to be a weird kind of thing. There's going to be monkeys. You know? <laughs> <laughs> there goes that monkey again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> like what? And um. <laughs> I open the I open the studio door and it's just Michael and Quincy and an engineer. This, so was the, and they worked exactly the same way I was used to working with Billy. You know, just you know swapping ideas and just and once again it was another about a two hour session. And, but that's the good stuff that when when you put pros in a place and it's and we got to get it done and it's not about how many bottles of scotch we can put away let's do this record that's what gets that that's when the rubber meets the road usually yeah i mean a lot of times you know i find the stuff that i've really had to labor on about uh i don't know sometimes it doesn't always pan out it's the initial 
you know, a good song, you know, you start with a good song, a good, a good lyric, a good singer. Yeah. And then, and then everything else is really icing. What song was that, Dirty yeah. Diana? Uh, that, that was Dirty Diana, right? That was Dirty Diana. Yeah, yeah. great. And, uh, and I, that, I mean, I remember, because if you're going to be in this business, you got to know what's going on at all times, whether you like the music of the 80s or the 90s or whatever, I was always a student of it. And when I saw that track come out, man, I was like, okay, that's pretty yeah. freaking cool. And he was always, I mean, he, you know, Jackson, Jennifer Batten, Eddie, yeah. you, I mean, you know, he, he was a rocker. He, you know, he came from that. So The, the interesting thing was we did, we, we did the video uh, for it, and we're on the soundstage, and in, be, this, in between takes, you know, there was a lot of, like, you know, hang time and whatever. And, you know, I'm just hanging me and Michael, you know, just shooting the shit. You know? <laughs> um, right. But all, but he was getting ready to do his first tour, and all he wanted to know about was rock productions, and uh, he had seen Queen, he had seen Van Halen, so he's asking me about sound companies and lighting companies and who do we use, who's, you know, mm. because he wanted to present himself the way a rock band would and whereas in the Jacksons, it was always an R&B show. <clears throat> it wasn't a rock experience. It wasn't this... Yeah, no, he, I, I, I get that from him all day long. I, I totally get that. I, I totally so, um, get that. So, yeah, he was just like, okay, you know, like very much into the, the spectacle of rock and roll, even though he was a pop artist. <laughs> well put, the spectacle of rock and roll. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so now I gotta know I mean I see a high watt back there I see an original Marshall you probably didn't know I was a guitar geek but it's oh yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that's actually a, a Friedman Dave Friedman oh is it oh, oh yeah but it's a copy of one of my old Marshalls you know and uh, what's up there there's a Morgan which is like a box type thing what's it that is that not a high watt the white the one with the white faceplate no, that's a that's a, it's like a little one. It's called a Morgan. Oh, oh, okay. And it's like a like an AC thirty type of thing. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, but um, more and more, you know, my 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 home studio is I I I, I don't cut drums here. I don't have the capabilities. This is a demo studio. It's just a writing place. Uh, or for guitars, I can cut guitars here and vocals and get songs in shape be before we. Uh, go take it to the next level, kind of. Sure. Um, but uh, I mean, more and more stuff is just getting smaller, and you know, and uh, when 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 we were touring, you know, I mean, the, the cost of uh, you know gas and all the stuff that you know when you're carrying around the huge rig and stuff, they, how, how much can you fit on the truck? You start thinking about these logistics and cutting costs sure. and, and uh, keeping gear, you know, I started to keep some gear in Europe so I wouldn't have to ship stuff and I'd have uh, guitars over there and, and uh, so I, I think the, the, the future is, I don't, I don't know how many people are carrying the big mammoth setups anymore, everybody's on in-ears now, and, yeah, you know, it's yeah. a little different. I hear you. <laughs> yeah, you know, all those, uh, J.H.? Jerry Harvey, yeah. Yeah, same yeah. with me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and the cool thing is they um, they uh, they make them in Opopka, Florida, which is like maybe two or three hours from here. Right. So, yeah. so they did my molds, and then they had me come up there for a fitting, and they trimmed right. this and did the – it was insane. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's the way to do it, though. Yeah, we we. I mean, <clears throat> we we used to play blisteringly loud. You know, I mean, it's you know. <clears throat> but um, you know, as, as you, 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 you 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 mature. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, but it's all. It's better too. You know, I mean, it's better to, to really be able to hear. If you remember going all the way back to the 70s in Rat Race, I was wearing a set of 727Bs with an SM10 screwed into the, to the cup. Oh, wow. That's, right, how, right. that's how I got away with being able to sing. Because you can't. how can you play that giant set of drums and right. keep saying in front of a microphone? You know, you're doing this. So right. This way, it was always there. So, yeah, it was... It was uh, it was good. Oh, my son is coming to the room. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, if yeah. I re remember, you sang all the Zeppelin stuff. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Brave, brave man. <laughs> well, I, and the funny thing is, I, I was talking, I forget who I was talking to the other day about um, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. Mm -hmm. uh, somebody who had, was somebody on the show, and, and I said, well, when that, that song came out, was it 62 Sherry? <clears throat> I used to sing it in the car, right? Gene Cornish. And, uh, right, with Gene Cornish. And my mother used to say to me, you're not always going to be able to do that. And I said, oh, yes, I am. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't know what, what, but that has to do with the price of eggs, but there you go. Yeah, how did you, how did you, I always meant to ask you, how did you uh, meet uh, John Edmondson? Uh, at, an, at an AM show, at a, at uh do you remember Joe Berger? You must know Joe Berger. Oh, sure. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Joe says, Joe had just gotten back from Music Mesa, right? And um, I know you played there, right? You had a solo band that played there. And, I did, uh, but I, like, the first time I played there in 85, I played with John Edwison. Oh. Yeah, well, that's when he started doing those things. That's, you know, with right. the, so Berger comes back to the States and he says, you know, I played with John Entwistle and uh, I told him about you guys meaning Rat Race. And uh, he said he wants to meet you guys. So we're at, you know, McCormick Place in, in Chicago where they have the summer, used to have the summer name. We're right, right out in the front of the place. And here comes Entwistle dressed as Entwistle. I mean, it's, yeah. it's like, okay, it's like. Two o'clock in the afternoon, sunny summer day in, in yeah. June, and here he comes with the leather jacket and the spider and the jewels and the whole thing. <laughs> and uh, and Joe says, you know, Steve, Dave, blah, 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 and he introduces us. And he's sitting there, this is a funny story, and he's, he's standing there and he's cool as can be. I mean, total, you know, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and a seagull flies over and drops a, a dropping on his shoulder. Right. Good. Good luck, though. <laughs> For me. <laughs> and he and he he does this. He and he pulls a napkin out of his pocket, goes like this, and it doesn't quite come off. And, he goes, huh? and then he goes, shrimp. <laughs> so. So I said to him, you know, being, it's me, you know, it's me. I said, hey, man, you want to jam? And he said, anytime, mate. So I took that as a license to steal. I went on the NAM floor. I went to Kramer. I said, I'm playing with John Ellisle. I understand you guys have the big jam. And we wound up playing at uh, the, Vic, uh, the Vic Theater that night. Vic Theater, right. Yeah, and, uh, man, I mean, I'll tell you, the, uh, we'll have to stay connected. The whole story that goes along with that is just funny as crap. 
so I go, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. I go to Kramer. They're the ones that were putting on the big show at the time, right? Right. And they said, oh, yeah, we'll make room. Tell John, you know, we'd love to have him, blah, blah, blah. So I tell John, look, you know, we're playing. I got us a, got us a place to jam. He goes, okay. And Kramer, I'm staying in a hotel that isn't as big as the limousine that Kramer sent to pick me up, right? <laughs> and so I drive down to the Drake, and John gets in the car, and he's like, you know, it's this. Where, where are we going to jam? And I said, oh, it's going to be fun. So they take us to the Vic. We go down the side stairs into where the dressing room, rooms are. He doesn't know what's going on. You know, he has no idea that we're at the Vic Theater. He just thinks we're whatever. And he says, well, what are we going to play? And I said, well, we can play some Who songs. He said, I don't know any. I said, well, we know them. We'll teach them to you. <laughs> yeah. So Dave and Mark and Jack come down, and we start going over the live Ale at Leeds arrangements, oh, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. And he says, uh, you guys even learned the mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> and from you know, from there it was just yeah, uh, yeah. he did the he did like you know a handful of dates with us later that year, and then asked me to join his band the next year, and then we started our own band. And right. what a trip, man! Yeah, yeah. What I mean, those, those those the guys who I've, I've been fortunate to meet some of those, you know, sixties. English 60s 70s English rock guys those those were the real rock stars yeah you know there was there was those guys aren't a, they don't they don't make them like that anymore no know? and and uh, you know that I think they probably shouldn't make them like that anymore because you know it's uh but yeah and they, you know that this guy um Chris John's son Christopher uh, we've stayed close over the years and uh, he authorized a biography. This this uh, writer from England, uh, Paul Rees, wrote uh -huh. The Ox, The Last of the Great Rock Stars. That's the name of the there book. You go. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'll see if I can dig up a copy and send it out. It's a good read. It's it's a, it's a fun thing. It's a, I mean, it had to be mind-blowing, though, for you as a drummer to, to suddenly hear that sound that you grew up with. Because there's no bass players like you know, you two notes, and you know it's him. Yeah, and, you know, and the thing is, you know, I'll, um, it's funny because I'll, I'll now that we're all sequestered to this COVID thing, um, I'll send you some, I'll send you clips and some stuff that'll just blow your mind of of the yeah. rig yeah. and some of the stuff that we did. Did you? Um, and here I am hawking my movie again. Do you have you have Amazon Prime? I do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I started a movie when John was alive. I got a call from Justin Kreutzman, who's Bill Kreutzman, the son for the Grateful Dead filmmaker. He said, you know, you guys want to shoot a video? I said, nah, we're, we don't have anything to really shoot for. You know, we're not releasing anything, but if I come up with anything, I'll let you know. So I called John up and I said, you know, guy wants to make a film, blah, blah, blah. Maybe we should do a documentary because he was getting ready to go out with the who again. And I said, you know, think about it. Be like a soldier getting out the gun in the old uniform and we could really have some fun. Let people see what it's like to, you know, to gear up to go out on the road. So I shot 10 hours of us just, you know, being drunk and whatever, telling right. stories back and forth. And one thing led to another, and uh, of course, then the business people got involved and they ran mm -hmm. out of money and... So years later, I actually wound up finishing it, and it's called okay. An Ox's Tale, and it's playing on Prime. And John, all right, I have to see this. Yeah, yeah John, John named it. it. This is the best part. I'm doing perfect. This is this is freaking hysterical too. I, I shoot the 
I shoot the initial 10 hours, right? And then the money guys, you know, the first class, everything, you know, this other. Then the money guy said, well, okay, we're going to edit in Burbank. I said, okay. Uh, so they get me a hotel and a car and a whole nine yards. And I said, uh, please send me an equipment list and a client list of the, you know, of the bay, the edit bay that we're going to use. They never send it to me. Uh, right? But they've been throwing money hand over fist. So, I, you know, I'm not going to argue. Uh, so they said, look, 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 we, we couldn't get it. It'll be there. You'll see what it is when you get there. I, so I fly out to L.A. I want to go right to the place. I want to go right. I want to see it. Right. And they take me to storage lockers. I'm driving down a row of storage lockers and one of them opens up and there's a guy built like a, a rack for a PC, not even a Mac. And and he's he's got like Rocket Boy editing software. And I'm thinking to myself, holy shit, what is this gonna be? So you know, and so I said to the guy, we cannot. I'm not making the film here. He said, look, look, just put in a couple of days. So I so I called John up, and he goes, oh, how's it going? And I said, I said, well, you know, it's going pretty good. Footage looks good. He said, well, I had a name, you know, we may, if we can finish it up in time, we can get it on the Who's Merchandise with Ant Hill. He said, and, and I said, oh, well, okay, that'd be great. And he said, yeah, and I have a name, an ox's tail, T-A-L-E, right? Yeah. Frickin' Ant Whistle, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So we do the opening sequence, right? We edit the opening sequence. And I mean, we're there for hours and hours and hours, and we edit the first four-minute sequence, right? Coming up the driveway to the big rock castle and the whole thing. Yeah. And, I, and the guy said, well, do you approve this? And I said, yeah, I do. It's great. And he goes, all right, well, now we have to render it. I said, okay, how long does that take? He said, well, about six or seven hours. And I'm like, what? And, he's, and I said, well, do we come back tonight? And he goes, no, my girlfriend's having dance auditions here tonight, so we'll just see you in the storage In the storage locker. <laughs> So I said, you know what? It's never going to happen. And uh, I flew back to New York, and 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 they actually tried to sell the footage to a legitimate guy who sought me out, and then we finished it up. And Pete's, and you'll love it. Pete's in it. Uh, um, yeah, you interviewed. And I did all the interviews, cause, so everybody was. Oh, I got, I, I, I got my evening planned. Yeah, cool, 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 excellent. So, all right. Well, listen. You know, I have the questions. Um, but, um, the one thing I wanted to tell you about is now that we're all in lockdown, I came up with a crazy idea because I have, you know, I built this thing behind me when we moved in. So I always have a drum room yeah. and I said, you know what, I'm going to start laying some drums and sending the tracks to people. And yeah. I, I'm not going to tell them what to play. I'm not going to do it, whatever it is. So the bass player sends it to the guitar player. The guitar player sends it to the keyboard player. So Absolutely. if you're interested, no pressure, no money, but no pressure, <laughs> no pressure. I'll send one. Oh, absolutely. Don't even think twice. Send it to me. It's, it's, yeah. it's nothing. That's something no one ever accused me of was thinking twice. <laughs> yeah. I'm a drummer. I hit things with a stick. I'm lucky I think once. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Send me whatever you. Oh, want. it would be fun, man. That would be yeah. just uh, you know, and that's you know the whole thing that started this um, this the show or whatever we're doing here is. You know, I thought, I see all these guys out there, and they're all doing acoustic guitars or, uh, you know, Request Sunday or whatever they do, and it's amazing what all these musicians are doing. And the people that scan through take care of them, they tip them out or whatever they do, and it's a really nice thing. 
And I thought to myself, if I'm going to add something to this landscape, right. I want to do something different. So I started by playing old rat race videos and telling stories, but I ran out of stuff okay. after a couple of months. Okay. And then I said, you know what? Let's have the conversation we would have at the hotel bar, backstage, at the garden, uh, you know, at SIR. And that's how this whole thing started. And that is how this whole thing started. So there's one more installment to come, part three of my conversation with Steve Stevens. I do hope you'll return here to the No Gloom Ballroom for some more rock and roll show and tell. So until then, I'll see you out there. <laughs>